Hello, and welcome to My SoPod Life, the podcast where we lovingly examine the novelized teenage drama that is My So-Called Life Goes On. We're your hosts, Kate. And Shannon. Holy moly, everyone. We're back. And we got the book. We got the book. (laughs) I cannot wait to dive into this. Also, some site business up top. You may have noticed that the other voice that you're hearing is not Selena's. I know. Unfortunately, Selena had some scheduling changes that made recording the podcast kind of tricky, which is why there was such a long break uh, between last season and this season of the show. We were trying to figure out some logistics and we couldn't make it work. So, hey, Selena, we miss you. Hey. Hey. Fortunately, however, my dear friend Shannon stepped in so that we could make the book portion of my SoPod life happen. So everyone, meet Shannon. Hey, happy to be here. Um, Shannon has actually listened to every episode of my SoPod life twice through. That's, is that correct? <laughs> that is right. <laughs> okay. Cause I sent her all the episodes before we put them out and then she listened to them with all the other listeners in real time. Um, so yeah, she has a good history with the podcast. Um, Shannon also, what's your history with the actual, my so-called life show? So I didn't watch it in actual real time when it aired, but I jumped on not too long after when they were airing the uh, reruns on MTV. Yes, (laughs) same. Yeah, I was in college and it was like my go-to show between classes. I'd head back to the dorm and it was like always on for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's how I caught um, the whole series and then absolutely loved it. And then uh, when it came back on Netflix recently, oh, man, it was so exciting to watch it again. Yeah, I know. Rewatching it as an adult, I was just kind of like, oh, I hope it's still as good. And I was like, I think I like it more now because now I also have like the 90s nostalgia factor and seeing it, you know, it it was nice to watch it when you're young because then you can relate to them and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm just like Angela. Uh And then now to rewatch it as an adult, you see it through different eyes, but you appreciate it more and you can appreciate like the writing and the, you know, the acting and all the the fashion choices, the costuming, everything. And definitely uh, with having a teenage daughter um, where I used to be Angela, now I am definitely Patty, (laughs) which makes me really upset. But also at the same time, I have a a newfound respect for everything that woman went through. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. And then also, were you as excited as we were to hear about this book existing? Yes, I was. <laughs> I was just like, all right, more of this universe. I love that. Yeah. I was so excited to read it. Yeah. Especially since the show was kind of like ripped from us yeah. so abruptly. Um, okay. So to remind everyone, this book is called My So-Called Life Goes On. It's written by Catherine Clark. The author is not affiliated with the show. She wrote um, the first My So-Called Life book, which is basically like a novelization of the show. As far as I can tell from the very limited amount of info about this book on the internet, because there is not much, um, she did not collaborate with the show writers for the second book. On the title page of the book, it says, quote, based on the characters from the award-winning television series created by Winnie Holzman. So this is essentially like My So-Called Life fanfic, and I am here for it. Same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so once again, I want to thank the listeners, specifically Linda and Celeste, who jumped into action and immediately offered their copies of this 
outrageously expensive book <laughs> so that these episodes of the podcast could be made. We, uh, Selena and I looked for this book everywhere. I was looking at thrift stores. I was on eBay. I was, I mean, anytime I went to a used bookstore, I was trying to find it and we could not find it for less than like $90. Wow. So, I mean, our listeners are amazing and we immediately had two of them that were like, I have it. You can borrow it and use it. So mm-hmm. having it here so has been dicey. It's at, while I was reading it, I would put it on the kitchen table and tell everyone, don't touch that book. It's worth like $700. <laughs> Yeah. And like, it's a paperback that immediately when I got it, I made like a makeshift cellophane cover for it. (laughs) When I and then I handed it off to Shannon. And I was like, keep this cover on this book. Oh, yeah, it was really helpful because it made me not feel so uh, like fragile about it. Precious. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like the Shroud of Turin. Yeah. And and awful because it's like, I mean, spoiler, it's not I don't want to say it's not a great book, but it's not, you know, mm-hmm. like a first edition, you know, like classic novel. It's not like, you know, like the first print of Little Women or something that you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's whatever, but yeah. it's it's expensive for some reason. Yeah. Okay, so also just to be clear on the format for this season, we're not going to just be reading the book straight through like an audiobook because for one, I we don't have per- like permission to do that. And for two, I think that would be boring. So we'll read excerpts from the book, but we'll mostly just kind of summarize and give you commentary. And then each episode this season will cover two chapters of the book because they're short and we didn't want to do like unsatisfying mm-hmm. 15 to 20 minute episodes. We figured we'd give you two chapters each week. So without further ado... Let's get into this masterpiece. <laughs> chapter one. Okay. The chapter starts with what I assume would be an Angela voiceover if this was the show. Uh, and since we don't have audio clips, I'm going to try to do my best Angela for this excerpt. Okay. <clears throat> Sometimes a person's restaurant order says everything about them without them even realizing it. Like me. I always think this is the last order I'm ever going to place. Like a prisoner, getting her last meal before being executed. So it takes me forever, because I want it to be perfect. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we find out that since the show ended, Graham and Hallie Lowenthal, remember her? Did indeed open their restaurant, and Angela is waitressing there for the summer. When we join Angela, she's in the middle of taking an order for a customer who's asking if the shrimp Alfredo is low fat. (laughs) Angela explains that it is not because Alfredo is, I'm pretty sure, never low fat unless it's awful. (laughs) Like, I I can't even imagine what low fat Alfredo Uh, would be. Watery mess. Yeah. What she should have said is, of course, it's not because her dad is the chef and he secured the funding for this restaurant by serving the highest, fattest menu in restaurant history. <laughs> Listen to uh, episode 19 of season one of this podcast for Selena's rundown on that culinary nightmare. It was just like all the fat, all the things, heaviest <laughs> meal ever. Um, we're also told that Hallie has instructed the waitstaff to memorize customers' orders because writing them down looks tacky. But Angela is still new, so she has to use a notepad. And this already hints at what a fresh hell it must be to work under the managerial stylings of Hallie Lowenthal. Yeah, because she puts the same manic energy into micromanaging her staff as she does into digging through her giant purse. Yeah. (laughs) Also, um, when I see waiters not writing down my order... It makes me nervous. nervous. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> As 
especially a 16 year old there's no way she's gonna remember all that no if yeah if a 16 year old came up and was just like "Uh uh-huh okay I'd be like you're gonna forget not to put tomatoes on that aren't you yeah look me in the eye and tell me what I just said (laughs) repeat back to me what I just told you Uh, Yeah, I imagine that Hallie just walks around barking orders and trying to attain like trendy 90s restaurant status, but does nothing work wise, you know, like it's probably just like, oh, look at how like on top of things I am because I just bark orders at my staff, which by the way, as a customer would also make me super uncomfortable. Yeah. If the manager was constantly out like micromanaging everything, I would be like, "Mm." yeah, if you don't (laughs) trust your staff, how am I supposed to trust them? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So as Angela walks back into the kitchen, we get the or to get these patron salads and confirm that Alfredo is not, in fact, low fat. <laughs> we get a description of the restaurant. OK, so to set the scene, it's a recently converted warehouse. So not the storefront with the fountain that we saw in the last episode. Fresh flowers on heavy wood tables covered in white linen tablecloths, giant plate glass windows with the view of the street. So still downtown. Um, the restaurant is called Fiore which means flower in Italian. And it has an original tin ceiling, which Angela likes to stare at and quote, contemplate her life, her life or lack thereof. Uh. <laughs> Classic Angela. Yeah. Although I, I do also love a tin ceiling, so mm-hmm. I can't fault her for that. So, you know, it's just kind of basic, like whatever, 90s chic, mm-hmm. <laughs> quote, chic restaurant. Yeah. In the kitchen, we meet Angela's co-worker, Lewis, who is tall with a chiseled face, blonde hair, and green eyes. Oh, this guy is impossibly cool. And not in an untouchable Jordan Catalano way, but more of just a self-assured, I know who I am and I'm good with it, like Valley Girl era Nick Cage way. Yes. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem, from the description, he doesn't seem like a tryhard. He's kind of just like cool funny you know yeah just like, nice easy guy. going yeah i love it i love yeah. him for her <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um because this isn't a show i thought would be or what might be fun is that for every new character that's introduced in this book we cast an actor for the part so we can kind of like visualize who it is so who is lewis okay so uh i'm thinking dacre montgomery um from stranger things but if we're casting from the retro pool of young actors then Mm -hmm. uh i'm thinking eddie furlong yeah because he has like an effortless kind of just like i am who i am yeah so i was originally because this is like a 90s show i was originally picturing a typical 90s like floppy haired teen beat cover boy like a Ryan Phillippe or a James Vanderbeek or even like a young Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. Um, but I never considered going outside of the era Mm. of the 90s so if we're going modern day I'm gonna say like Ansel Elgort Mm -hmm. kind of like also I've never said that name out loud so (laughs) hopefully that was correct (laughs) fault in our stars guy yeah just like you know like if we're going with tall chiseled Mm -hmm. blondish you know, whatever. So, um, yeah. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a poll on Instagram so that listeners can vote for who they think should be our Lewis. So everyone check us out at my SoPod life and you can cast the part of Lewis or send in your own suggestions Mm -hmm. if you have other suggestions and then we'll let you know the results so that everybody can get on board for a singular Lewis (laughs) going forward. (laughs) All right. Angela and Lewis have some cute kind of restaurant coworker banter. 
Angela shows him a notepad on which he has scribbled, help me. And he says he'd love to, but he has to deal with a table that thinks that risotto is the dessert, not an entree. (laughs) 90s food. In the kitchen, we get a description of Graham in head chef garb to confirm that he is, in fact, head chef. Angela does her due diligence, asking about the fat content of Alfredo. Just then, Hallie bursts in to interrupt and answer on Graham's behalf something she does a lot, Mm -hmm. saying that it's high fat, and while it tastes good, you can't exactly eat Alfredo and run a marathon afterwards. And I would like to say, Hallie Lowenthal, uh, meet Michael Scott and Michael Scott's Dunder Mifflin Scranton Meredith Palmer Memorial Celebrity Rabies Awareness Pram Fun Run Race for the Cure, because I would argue that you can, in fact, eat Alfredo and run a marathon. Yeah. It might sit like a brick. I'm sure you might throw up your heart all over the sidewalk afterwards, but it can be done. Yeah, it shouldn't, but it can. Yeah. (laughs) Carbo load. Uh, Graham and Hallie have a flirty, insidey, jokey back and forth. Angela says that she always feels like she's interrupting something between her father and Hallie. Mm. Is this foreshadowing? Mm -hmm. As Graham gives her some low-fat alternatives to suggest... Angela dreams of a, quote, random order she would place for herself for dinner. Foie gras, followed by rack of lamb with green peppercorn sauce, finished with creme brulee. Does this, quote, random order sound familiar? (laughs) And we've arrived at my first bone of contention with this author. (laughs) So clearly this is a nod to Graham's sample menu that he made for the investors. But it reads like the author thought of this, quote, random collection of things that Angela picked off the menu. So I feel like either you cop to the fact that you're referencing something from the show or you make up a different set of menu items. Um, Because also this doesn't really sound like an Angela meal or like anything a teen would fantasize about eating. But then also I didn't grow up in like a trendy 90s restaurant. So what do I know? (laughs) Yeah, but she didn't grow up in a restaurant either. And that's true. I contend that 16 year olds do not know what foie gras is. You know, I mean, I give it a pass because her dad's a chef, but still the only food in that whole list that a teen would eat is the creme brulee. And even then you'd have to sell it to them as pudding. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's my experience. It's crispy pudding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We've seen Graham sort of like experimental meals with the, yeah. you know, cilantro, chicken, dried tomato <laughs> situation. So we know she's grown up around kind of like higher level food. But I I just can't imagine that she would be like, mm, if I could pick anything to eat right now, this is what I would eat. And then, like I said, the things that she randomly dreams yeah. of is the basically exact menu that Graham prepared for investors. It's like... Yeah, because it's investor food. It's not teen food. Green peppercorn yeah. sauce? I just... I don't know. I know. And it, so does he only make, like, <laughs> that menu plus Alfredo? Is that it? Is that the whole menu? That's and all that's they why get at home. can only choose? Yeah, yeah. They get cilantro, <laughs> that menu, and cold spaghetti. That's it. oh and waffles yeah or french toast french toast yeah uh all right so angelo expresses annoyance over the fact that graham and hallie have been spending so much time together while they've been trying to get this restaurant off the ground and that they're starting to act and talk alike which i feel would be annoying to witness just even as a co-worker let alone as graham's daughter just like if you work with two people who are like this it's the worst Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're just like oh shut up both of you (laughs) shut up 
Hallie is pacing around the kitchen complaining that there aren't enough customers. Graham reassures her to be patient and gives her another the food will speak for itself speech like we heard in the last episode of the show. Angela and Lewis have some jokey, flirty talk that's dumb, and he winks at her before heading back out on the floor so that we know that these two have chemistry. Hmm. hmm All right. So now we leave the restaurant and find ourselves inside a drive through photo hut, a.k.a. the summer job of Brian Krakow. Okay. I'd never seen or heard of these photo huts until this book. <laughs> so <East> I coast. <laughs> I Googled it though, and I found out that actually they originated in Pittsburgh, which is interesting because I'm from Pennsylvania and I never saw one in my hometown. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, the very first one was in Pittsburgh. Um, but what a strange drive-up service. Like, how lazy were people in the 90s? <laughs> how hard is it to walk in film? <laughs> yeah, you can't walk into the store to drop off your film. So weird. Um, and But also, I think the worst part is the description of the fumes from the car exhaust seeping into the yes. tiny booth. Oh, my gosh. Not even seeping in. It's like the photo booth has like a slight open window that yeah. you're just like, it's like a drive-thru. Yeah, you know? right. Okay, so... Yeah, so for listeners who don't know, in case you don't know, photo huts were essentially like a shed that would sit in the parking lot, usually of like a strip mall where there's a drugstore or something close by. And it had a little window where people could drive up and drop off their film, and then they would come back after a few hours or days or whatever to pick up their pictures. And they were tiny and like almost never included air conditioner, Uh. and typically one to two people would work inside and and like process your film and then give you pictures. And so for reference, if you've seen that 70s show, it's Hyde's job on that 70s Mm -hmm. show. Um, okay, so Brian laments over the fact that he couldn't get a job at Mike's Camera, which is on brand with his whole yearbook photography yeah. creep cameraman status. So he considers the photo hut at least camera store adjacent. <laughs> I mean. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you take what you can get yeah. when you're a teen. That's true. <laughs> looking, looking for a summer job. Um, we we uh, learned that along with this summer job, he's also taking extra summer classes and holding down a job at the hospital, all of which look good on his college applications. He summarizes it by saying he has, quote, two jobs, two courses, two parents, two instruments, zero girlfriends. Mm. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But he also says that at least that means that he doesn't spend all his time, quote, making out with significant others. Uh. Thanks, Dad. Could you describe this less sexily? <laughs> yeah, he could actually um, insert the male pal reference here. <laughs> he relays that the night before he'd been uh, reading in bed when he heard Jordan Catalano's car pull up out front in front of Angela's house across the street and saw, <laughs> quote, two shadows inside become one shadow. Ugh. Hey, so creepy. Seriously. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> Can you imagine like a teenage boy being like, I saw two shadows become one shadow. <laughs> <laughs> like he's a black eyed child who like doesn't know how yeah. how human people speak. <laughs> <laughs> Last night I saw two shadows become one shadow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm saging you immediately. Oh my goodness. So the next morning, when his mom said that he didn't look like he got much sleep, he inwardly comments, nobody cares what I look like. (laughs) After he makes a lame joke about work and his parents laugh, he ho-hums, quote, I'm so glad I can amuse my parents. 
I should be able to make someone laugh at my pathetic life, wow. unquote. So Brian's a good time. Yeah. And so he's working at the photo hut as a form of self-flagellation. <laughs> now I get I it. <laughs> <laughs> Just punishment, you know. And also yeah. not for the first time, uh, because I remember this from the series, but I'm getting an uncomfortable feeling that Brian's parents hold a lot of blame for his constant self-loathing. Well, yeah, he lives in a house where he's constantly, anal- I mean, yep. he's analyzed. I was going to say, like, keep living in denial, Bernice. <laughs> it's just, how could any teenager function normally yeah. when, you know, when you're a teenager, like, you don't want your parents' eyes on you. Right. Like, you don't want to be seen. You don't want them to talk to you. They try to hug you and you're like, mm. Yeah. So, like, having your parents just be helicopter parents to the nth degree. Yeah. And constantly analyzing everything you say and everything you do. It's just like, no wonder. Yeah, it would really make you just become horribly introspective. And when that happens, I think at that young age, it's not a pretty sight. Yeah, so maybe that's where we're getting a lot of this internal monologue. No one cares about me. Yeah. When Brian snaps back into the present in the photo hut, we learn that his coworker Samantha has, quote, short platinum blonde hair with random streaks of red and orange and more tattoos than Brian has freckles. All right. So new character. Who are we casting as this 90s manic pixie dream role, Samantha? Okay. Um, I was thinking, obviously, a Drew Barrymore type of character. Right. Um, from, from that time period. Also, I was thinking Farusa Balk. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're going with current contenders, then um, the Bridget Lundy Payne, uh, Casey from Atypical, I think, would be yes. the perfect. Yes. Yeah, Samantha. Yeah, she has like a like a good kind of like like a bad girl attitude, yes. but you don't hate her, right? Yeah, <laughs> like she's she just, just kind of like care. tough. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I, I like all those, definitely. I was picturing, uh, if we're going time appropriate, like Amina Savari mm. or um, Gia from Full House, whose real name, I think, is Marla Sokoloff. I just, I feel like Gia never got enough play no, in No, I was times. just going to say Gia. I totally forgot about her. Yeah, wow. I like her a lot. Um, and if we're going modern day, then I would love to see Kieran and Shipka, who yes. Sally and Medman are the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Because yeah, same, I think one. she could pull that off. Yeah. So again, I will put all those on Instagram. Everybody can vote for who should be Samantha. So Samantha asked Brian to cover her shift on Friday because she and her boyfriend Python have tickets to, as Patty would put it, a rock concert. Because <laughs> <laughs> see, she's alternative. Python apparently changed his name to reflect his personality. Brian said that if he did that, his name would be Spineless. Mm. In 10 years, Brian Krakow is going to be the king of vague booking mm-hmm. on Facebook. <laughs> Just like, so sad when people you thought were your, were your friends stab you in the back. <laughs> oh, like, what's oh. wrong, Brian? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Brian agrees to cover her shift and inwardly sad sacking. I'll just put off having an actual life for another week. What difference does it make? Uh, and that's the end of chapter one. <laughs> uh, okay, like I know it sounds like we're just making Brian out to be a major bummer, but it's because the author has written him to be a major bummer. Yeah. And it's interesting that she's chosen to paint Brian with this brush. I, I think maybe she's trying to really establish his loneliness as a result of what we last saw, mm. which was the whole Brian watching Angela return to Jordan yep. incident after the infamous, like the infamous letter that he wrote. Yeah. So maybe she's just really trying to hammer home 
like he's alone and he feels sad right. and his self-esteem has been hammered yeah. and and he it's almost like he hates himself that he can't be Jordan in the way of like facing Angela and saying I wrote you that letter I'm in love with you I would never yeah. treat you like that you know but he can't do it and I think that really makes him hate himself yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's just a lot of um, self-talk about being lonely and mm-hmm. nobody likes me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the other thing I was thinking about is Brian isn't the only one that we're going to see that undergoes this a little bit of a personality shift in mm-hmm. the book. Um, and I was just thinking about maybe more so than the author not knowing her characters. I'm wondering if it has anything to do with that the book is set during the summer vacation. So we get Mm -hmm. a kind of a different take on the characters' personalities now that we're like off school property. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Um, and they're not around the same people and... Yeah, that's true because we're we're getting introduced to new characters and they're they're also not like together. Right. Like we're not seeing all of them interact with each other. Right. So we're seeing them in these different environments of like the restaurant and the photo hut and like the other environments that we're going to see. So yeah, that could come into play, mm-hmm. but I think we'll have to track mm-hmm. sort of yeah, that development as we go on. Yeah. All right. Okay, so let's go straight into chapter 2. Chapter two opens on Jordan Catalano picking Angela up after her shift at the restaurant. Jordan's outfit is described as, quote, a navy t-shirt, dark blue jeans, and black boots, unquote. And Angela asks him how he can wear clothes like that in the summer and not get hot, which I find weird because that's like basically my everyday outfit in the summer. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Okay, now, Shannon, I am a native Californian, but the story takes place in Pennsylvania. So as our resident Pennsylvania expert, would this outfit fly in a PA summer? Yes and no. Um, (laughs) Yes, because when you're from Pennsylvania, you don't get a lot of sun. So you stay pale. So there's really no like, you don't want to wear shorts, you don't want to wear tank tops. You never really have like that summer body that you Californians have all year round. Um, Right. But also no, because it is ungodly humid in most parts of Pennsylvania (laughs) all summer long. And when it's not like 100% humidity, it's just like it's just the most terrible heat wave. So, hmm. I, I, you know, I don't know. I buy it that Jordan is wearing this outfit. I would wear that in Pennsylvania in summer. I have worn it. Really? I've had boyfriends okay. that have worn it. <laughs> so I buy it. I buy it. Okay. Accurate. Um, but yeah, and this also harkens back to the episode where we talked about how Jordan balked at gym class norms and played basketball in jeans. Yes. So if he's not going to change into shorts for gym, he's not going to do it for Angela or Pennsylvania Summers. <laughs> no. So, yeah. And then Angela has the gall to ask Jordan why he can't just wear shorts. Okay. <laughs> it's probably just me, but I would much rather see men in pants than shorts. I don't know why she wants to see <laughs> Jordan in shorts. That's the, the whole mystique goes out the window. I know. Okay. And I mean, Jordan agrees with you because he stands up for himself saying that legs are basically ugly. Yes. So, but can you even imagine Jordan Catalano in shorts? I feel like he would just like cut off his baggy jeans so that there's like long frayed jorts and just wear them with boots and like a wallet chain. Yeah. And that wouldn't be terrible. But I think what she wants to see him in are like dad chino shorts or something, (laughs) which is so weird. Like Brian Krakow shorts. (laughs) Yeah. 
or maybe like dicky shorts he would yeah. wear i don't know i just i jordan's one of those guys that's just like he is not gonna wear no. shorts no angela also silently muses about jordan's look being not the type of thing her parents like adding to herself quote but then he wasn't really a type at all jordan was an individual <sighs> unquote <laughs> But this is some garbage that I feel like I and every high school girl thinks about her boyfriend, that he's like such a troubadour and an individualist, even though he's like every other teen boy in a band since the beginning of time. And also we have to consider that we know that Patty and Graham's idea of a good boyfriend for Angela is Brian Krakow and really neither option (laughs) seems appealing at this juncture. (laughs) Yes. So I guess just go with Jordan at that point. Angela and Jordan head to Louie's, which is like the billiards teen hangout, the parking lot of which is where Jordan and Angela or Jordan and Rayanne had sex in his car that one time. This is where like Brian Krakow was shooting mm-hmm. yearbook footage around and saw them. Uh, on the drive there, Angela tells Jordan that Hallie Lowenthal commented that Angela was finally, quote, verging on the competent, Jeez. unquote, at work. Uh, hey, Hallie, first of all, that's not a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Verging on the competent. I think she meant like verging on being competent. Yeah. Which is rude. It is very rude. Yeah. Um, Jordan doesn't understand the word verging and thinks that Hallie called Angela a virgin. Angela laughs and corrects him, but then thinks darkly to herself that she's probably the last virgin in the world. (sighs) Then she vacillates between wanting to wait and maybe not being able to and strap in folks because sexual tension is theme number one in this novel. Mm Mm-hmm. At Louis, Jordan immediately ditches Angela for his friends. Cool. <laughs> but thankfully, Ricky, Rayanne, and Corey are there. Yay! Hey, Ricky. Hey, Ricky, hey. <laughs> Ricky and Corey are playing pool against Rayanne and losing. Uh, through exposition, we learn that Ricky has a permanent place to live because Mr. Katimsky, the jittery but brilliant English teacher that we love, Took him in and started the process of legal adoption. Yes. So wonderful. Mm, I love this. Yay. Uh, and I wish we could spend more time talking about this and how good Ricky looks in his vintage bowling shirt. <laughs> but we can't because Angela starts whining about Hallie Lowenthal. Rayanne says that Hallie is kind of a, ro- a role model for her, citing that, quote, she is in her 30s. She's single. She has her own business. That's like my dream, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I mean, that that doesn't look bad on paper, Mm-mm. but then you meet Hallie and you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, that dream got sour real fast. <laughs> she is a lot. Uh, Corey interjects to ask Rayanne what her business would be, and she lists off three totally different things, one of which is a platform shoe store? <laughs> 90s. Hey, I would shop there. I, I did shop there. Yeah. We had one in, I mean, in our I- mall that was like all 90s shoes all the time. And it was like one of those teeny tiny little stores, you know? Mm-hmm. I loved that yeah. place. <laughs> Side note: In high school, I had a friend, a guy friend, who worked in one of those show in one of those stores, and it was totally just women's shoes. And he was in a band, a crappy, <laughs> just like punk garage band, whatever. And I went in to visit him one day. No, was nobody was in the store, and he was blasting his own band's music <laughs> in the store. And I was like, "Is this you?" And he was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I was like, "Are you gonna get in trouble?" And he said, "No, no one's here, so they can't monitor if I play like the prescribed whatever yeah. vitamin C song that was supposed to be playing." <laughs> Then the gang starts talking about the Hope Street Community Theater play and get ready because we are going to hear a lot about this play. Mm -hmm. It's an original production called Walking to Wisdom by a local writer. (laughs) (laughs) Original production and that title. Uh. Mm -hmm. 
it's probably great. (laughs) (laughs) Rayanne got a call back for the lead role, and Ricky and Corey plan to participate as well, so that's fun. But Angela can't even pretend to be interested or happy for her friends because she's still in the middle of her pity party for one over Rayanne sexing Jordan. Yeah, so I guess Angela hasn't truly forgiven Rayanne yet, which fits with the show's original creator, Winnie Holzman's plans, because had there been a season two of the show, Rayanne and Angela would have been in each other's kind of friend orbits, but never really fully recovered and made up to become best friends again. Mm. So this fits in line with that, but it's just like, are you going to, are you, are you moving past it or not? Yeah. Like if you guys are going to hang out together and you have mutual friends, don't keep bringing it up. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Angela heads to the counter to pick up her order of fries and runs into Lewis from work. We get a little exposition about Lewis that he's a year older than her, is totally hot cougar bait, apparently, <laughs> because older ladies are constantly coming into the restaurant and flirting with him, and that he's about to start his senior year at a boarding school in New Hampshire, so implied that he also comes from money. Yeah. Lewis says that he has tomorrow off, and since Angela is also off, she should come and meet him and his friend to get breakfast. Angela is just about to meekly accept the invitation when cock-blocking Jordan Catalano sidles up and puts his arms around her all, like, territorial-like and asks if she's ready to go. So, uh, (laughs) this is so high school and brings back a flood of memories for me of just the boys who, like, don't really want to be with you until they notice that somebody else notices you and is sniffing around you. Yeah, and the way that Jordan walks up and ape drapes all over her, like, this is mine. Yeah, (laughs) it's the worst. It really does bring back some of those memories that you wish that you could go back being yourself now and just fix all of that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And have the wherewithal to be like, oh, okay. So when we came in, you dished me for your friends. But as soon as I'm talking to my friend, it's like, well, you ready to go? Yeah. Get away from me and my French fries. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Angela introduces the boys and Lewis shades Jordan by seeming incredulous about Jordan being in high school with Angela. And I don't know if this is maybe because Lewis thought that Jordan was already out of high school since he's like 20 years Uh old because he was left back twice. So maybe he was like, oh, you're in high school? Jordan presses Angela to leave and then takes her fries as they walk out to the car. Then they sit in the car and feed each other french fries with ketchup. And then Captain Funtime tells Angela not to get any ketchup on my valuable car seats. (laughs) Like, this guy. imagine, I know, okay, just imagine all the gross things that Dirtbag Jordan has done in these, quote, valuable seats. Mm. Like, we know he has had sex in this car, and smoked, and probably drank, and I'm sure all his gross friends have been in there, and if if I was Angela, I would be like, are you serious? You're literally the filthiest person I know, yeah. and you're telling me to be careful on your valuable car seats. Like, everybody, you know that they all pile in there after band practice, all sweaty and disgusting. Yes. And now he's worried that she's going to get ketchup on his seats, which are probably vinyl and can yeah. be wiped down easily. <laughs> yeah. And it's ketchup. But yeah. he has to like be like, hey, be careful. Yeah. Oh, he just doesn't miss an opportunity to just shut her down. But then Jordan offers to let Angela drive his car. Oh. Okay. Uh, so which brings up the memory of him teaching her to drive, which then leads to the memory of them trying to have sex in that nasty F shack abandoned house. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> which then leads to Angela saying, quote, you know how we broke up after that because I wouldn't sleep with you, unquote. 
And then they try to have a, quote, discussion about having sex, which ultimately leads nowhere. And I think it's crazy that either they've never talked about that breakup since it happened, or he never apologized for it, which I'm sure he didn't. Oh, for sure, no. And it's actually pretty on point for both of their personalities that they wouldn't have ever reviewed the reason for their breakup. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan would have avoided it at all costs because he's an emotional baby. And (laughs) Angela would have been too nervous that she would scare him away by trying to bring it up, you know? Right. Like, don't rock the boat. Yeah. It would have been like trying to lure a stray dog into your car. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Nobody's going to talk about anything scary. (laughs) Let's go for a ride. Want to go for a ride? (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) You're right. I think it was probably just like she feels lucky to even be with him again. So it's just like, let's just not bring that up and let's just not. But that's a uh, <laughs> that's a huge thing in a relationship uh-huh. to be like remember when you broke up with me because i wouldn't screw you yeah and like now we're just back together yep. and we're just acting like you didn't say that i'm abnormal because i didn't want to have sex with you <laughs> oh my gosh no but it, it tracks like i said because he's yes he's like a, it does. A, a baby about anything he doesn't want to talk about any of that kind of stuff and she's like you said just happy to be here man so yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right and that's the end of chapter two um okay now so obviously because this isn't a visual medium we have no it hurts to look at you segment where we review fashion choices but we still wanted some sort of challenge for the end of the episodes of this show um so and while we were making notes for the show shannon and i realized that in comparison to the actual like tv show this book is really easy to drag to hell So to avoid the show being 100% snark and negativity, and it's just like bagging on this book constantly. And because we're interested to see how challenging this gets, uh, (laughs) we're going to name one thing at the end of each episode that we actually liked about the two chapters that we covered. So introducing our new segment, I Meant Every Word. Oh, I meant every word. I mean, the person who wrote it meant every word. All right, Shannon, what did you like from this week? Uh, wow. Well, I think it's a landslide that my favorite thing is that we find out that Mr. Katimsky adopted Ricky. Yes. I <laughs> love that. It's exactly where I wanted his story to go. So big ups to the author on that. I agree. I think that that was like a good, like, thank you for giving us that. Yep. And and right up front, yep. like, <laughs> like, hey, I know that you're concerned about Ricky. I'm concerned about Ricky. He's fine. Here's what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I do like that. Um, That was my first choice. But I will say, this is a stupid detail, but I do like the thing of Jordan not wearing shorts because it Ah. is so (laughs) indicative of him. And it's just like, as we're trying to, you know, flesh out these characters and everything, Mm -hmm. it's just, we all know that guy. Like, it's such a specific detail of that specific type of guy that we all knew in high school that no matter how hot it is, he's (laughs) not wearing shorts. And the fact that Angela is like, dummy it's so hot why can't you wear shorts and he's just like no yeah legs are are ugly (laughs) yeah wonderfully jordan i i'm gonna say that's my favorite detail from this week all right everyone come back next week we're gonna get an update on what sharon's hooters have been up to this summer (laughs) and we're gonna find out what happens when angela and jordan go for some sexy lake swimming Ooh la la talk to you next week bye 
join us each week for a new episode of My SoPod Life Goes On. Follow us on Instagram at My SoPod Life to check out visuals and trivia from the show. You can also get in touch with us at mysopodlife at gmail.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcastry. Talk to you next week.